Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. And welcome back to Daybreak Devotions, brought to you by the McLeansville Baptist Church. This is your host today, Pastor Corey Cantrell, and I am excited to be sharing the next couple of days with you, kind of on a solo together broadcast. And what I mean by that, what we're going to do over the course of today's broadcast and tomorrow, is we're going to take a message that Pastor Mike brought to the church a few Sundays ago and split it up over the course of the next couple of days, because it ties in so well with where uh, his and I's Discussion have been over the last couple of days, and it's a message titled very simply, Living the Sanctuary Life, out of Psalm 73. Getting out of the life of the self and the life of the constant struggle with sin and the focus on self and the feeding of self and getting to the point to where we are living and dwelling and abiding in the sanctuary of the Lord. And that's what we're after. That's the kind of life that Jesus offers to all of his people, to all that are on the way. And so we're looking forward to getting into that. And so we're going to jump straight into that message, and we're going to just see what the Lord has in store for you and your heart. And we look forward to being with you over these next couple of days. Psalm 73 this morning. Let me begin by giving you my proposition or premise of the message, and then we'll look into the psalm. My question today is, how do we get out of living the self-life dominated by besetting sin and discouraged of heart and get into living the sanctuary life where we are dominated by the love of God and seeing the daily renewal of our soul? That's the premise of this morning's message. So let me say that one more time. How do we get out of living the self-life where we are dominated by besetting sin and discouraged of heart and get into living the sanctuary life dominated by the love of God and seeing the daily renewal of our soul. Now that is what Psalm 73 has to say to us and teach us. Look at uh, verse number 17. Now we're going to look at these other verses. I guess to give it the lead-in, we'll start with verse 16. When I thought to know this, It was too painful for me, the summary of which, looking at the world and seeing the way he saw it, prosperity of the wicked. He said, when I thought to know this, to understand this, to realize this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. That is the primary verse on which the psalm turns. So, It is the linchpin of the entire psalm, verse 17. But look at verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Truly God is good, but as for me. That's a good place to start this morning. 
That's where all of this begins. Because that's the context that's being set up for us that leads us into verse 17. Asaph, the writer of this, what is a very personal psalm, and I think a very relatable psalm. All of us can relate to it. You can especially relate to it if you're an Asaph-type person. And, and I, I find a lot of correlation with him. I find a lot of uh, connection with him. But he gives us these two minds out of which we can operate. And we all have this struggle in us because there's two minds we can operate out of. You know, James said a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You want to know what a double-minded man or woman looks like. That's when you say something like, well, on the one hand, I'd like to do this, but on the other hand, I'm thinking that maybe I should do this. Well, that's being double-minded, and maybe that's over something as simple as which flavor of ice cream to, to enjoy. But sometimes we're double-minded on some of the biggest issues of our life. And that's where it's really concerning. And so he gives us these two minds that we can operate out of. Either the sanctuary of the goodness of God, or we can operate out of the mind that is the fragile exposure of the self-life. And so one of these places is a very safe place to be. That is in the sanctuary of the goodness of God. And one of these places is extremely dangerous to live in. And that's that fragile exposure that the self-life offers. And every day we are deciding where we're living and what mind we're operating out of. And not just on a day-to-day -day basis, but from time to time throughout our day. You may start good, and I promise you this, if you start the day well with a spiritual-minded pursuit of God, you've set yourself up for a lot of success. But it doesn't mean that through the day you won't be hit with a temptation to go into the self-mind. And so we, we have this struggle. We want to get better and better at it so that we live less and less toward, toward, less, and less toward the self and more and more toward the sanctuary life with God. The self-life is not a life of holiness and peace in God, but very sadly, the self-life can be a fertile place for certain forms of Christianity to grow. It's the place that is anchored in our personal besetting sins. And I'll say more on that in a moment. So it doesn't have the parameters of truth and spirit, but it can have the parameters of belief and determination. But those are not the same thing. On the one hand, you have the parameters, the boundaries of truth and spirit. Okay? Capital S. Capital T if you want to capitalize them both. That'd be in the sanctuary life. But in the self-life, you can live there with the parameters of your beliefs and your determination. That's why it is fertile ground for some forms of Christianity to grow and, and blossom. Because we say, well, we have our beliefs, I believe. 
and we have our determination. We could call that self-will. We say, I am going to do the right thing. I believe in Jesus, therefore I'm going to live for Jesus. And we can have that all rooted in belief and determination, but that is not spirit and truth necessarily. Okay? You get a life of church, of belief, you can have that, but it can be one in which religious rationalization and what I would call the persecution complex can be kind of the dominant features of your, your church life. They can flourish there. And that's what we read in Psalm 73. Look at this. I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now bear in mind before I read on, this man Asaph is not a, a worldly man. This is a very devout, spiritually minded man, but look at his confession. That's what this is, his confession. He says, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Who? The foolish and the wicked. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. Now what are we hearing in his voice? We're hearing envy and anger and bitterness. And that's not fair. Now this is a man who loves God. But he's operating out of the self-life. He's operating out of a place where he is rationalizing from religion, and he has this persecution complex of, well, it's not fair, why me? We also know that as the victim mentality. A lot of Christians have the victim mentality. A lot of Christian organizations have the victim mentality. Look what they're doing to us. It isn't fair. We should stand up for our rights. It's a, it's a, it's a persecution complex. We're being persecuted for our faith. No, probably not. More likely, we're being persecuted for our belief and our determination. And that'll bring some persecution, but that's not the same as being persecuted for your faith. We start talking in terms of not fair and our Christian heritage being destroyed and look what they're doing to our country. And we become very similar to that man in the temple who prayed thus with himself, Lord, I thank you that I am not like other men even like this guy, this tax collector right here praying on the altar. And we don't even realize that we've got there. We, we don't see it. We see ourselves as the tax collector being persecuted by the Pharisee, and in reality, we're the Pharisee because we have religious rationalization and a persecution complex, and we're operating out of the self-life where we can put ourselves on a pedestal and say, I'm not like all those people. Look at those wicked people that are prospering in the world. It's not right. And, and that is not living from the sanctuary of the goodness of God. So if we live in the self-life like Asaph is confessing here, we become susceptible to the us versus them mentality rather than living in the God and us for them mentality. Two very different things in which I no longer look at the people that are wicked in the world and foolish and see them as my enemies or despise them, but I look at them as people who need to know the one who saved me and I can look at them with love. That's a very different way and that's all dependent on which life, which mind we're operating out of. 
So, he thinks to himself, the wicked have all the health, wealth, and prosperity. Now, let's just do a little self-check. And it's okay. We're, we're learning around here to be honest about where we are so we can confess it and move forward. I was praying earlier. The choir was singing. Or maybe it was after the AP read and we were praying. And I said, Lord, just help us advance today. Just help us advance. We just want to advance today. So a little self-check. How many of you have ever thought thoughts like that? Man, I tell you what. It's the celebrities and the politicians that rule the world. I mean, they, I mean, look at them athletes. They rule the world. Anybody ever thought like that? You can be honest about it. They don't rule anything. You know who rules the world? God still does. He always has and he always will. They're not ruling anything. But when we look at them and we think like that and we feel like that, we're in the self-life mode. And it might be a little bit of envy. It might be a little bit of greed that's trying to come up in us or bitterness, whatever it may be, and we have to be aware of that. And, and when we live like that and we think like that and we feel like that, it explains the lack of true worship and enthusiasm for God among the church today. You know, when you're living in verse 13 through 16, look at this, verily, in truth, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Now, when that's our attitude, that explains why there's no worship and enthusiasm in church. We spend all week in envy and bitterness, anger and frustration, Living in the self-life, well, when we come to church, walking through those doors is not a magic show. There's no revolving, like, as soon as you come in the door, poof! Now you're in the sanctuary. No, not at all. It don't work like that. What the church gathering has often become in our day is a consecrated pity party. Woe is us, and woe is our God. Right? Go to the average revival meeting anymore. The camp meeting. Listen to the radio preachers. Woe is us, and woe is our God. Now, that's obviously not the sort of believers that we want to become. It's not the sort of church we want to build. But there is only, always, only one way out of the self-life. And that's our text, verse 17. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Self-life, wah, wah. Right? Look what they're doing to our country. Did you see him? I ain't going to that business anymore. You see who works in there? You won't catch me in that place. Wah, wah, wah. Self-life. Verse 17 is the only way to fix that. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. Something changed when he got in the sanctuary of the goodness of God. Then he looked at everything and everyone differently. I tell you, we've talked about revival a long time and we've waited for a great preacher to sweep through the land and lead it. We've waited for America to turn back to God so we could finally have it. You want to know how to have revival? 
you start right there in your little old heart. And you go to God and say, Lord, I'm tired of living in verse number 2 through 16. I'm tired of being angry and frustrated and blaming everybody and pointing it out and being bitter or, or envious of what they've got. I'm tired of living that way. God, help me get into the sanctuary with you. Some Christians will never know heaven until they get there. And God never meant it that way. God meant for us to have heaven now. God meant for us to live in the joy of the kingdom now. The peace of His kingdom now. But we can't have it. As long as we live in the self-life, we have to get in the sanctuary life. Now, to get out of the self-life into the sanctuary life, there are three important truths this psalm tells us, and I want to show them to you. Let me mention them and then point them out to you. Number one... He is showing us, and we've been looking at this one, the danger and weakness of the self-life. Until we recognize that, we're never going to care. We're going to go back home, turn on our televisions, watch the news, get upset again, drive by the businesses that we despise because of what they stand for, and speak vile things about them, none of which sounds like Jesus. Okay, so we have to understand the danger and weakness of the self-life. Number two, the pathway of escape from self to sanctuary. He gives us that. And then number three, the safety and goodness of sanctuary life. <laughs> Getting in that place where we are abiding in Him. Okay, the danger and weakness of the self-life. I've read most of the verses, verse 2 through 16. Let's get the ones I missed. Verse 8, they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. I, I could almost hear somebody saying, you just wait. One day God's going to show them. You wait. They stick their finger in God's face. God's gonna, one day God's going to put them in their place. As if God is some sort of little petty schoolyard bully waiting to set people straight. I don't know about your God. My God is much bigger than that. Okay, back to the text. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them, and they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Some believe that that is the wicked saying that. Others believe it's the people of God saying that. As if the wicked are saying, God doesn't really know what's going on. <laughs> I tend to think through the context of the psalm that it's the people of God saying it. And verse 10 says, Therefore his people, God's people, come, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them, and they say, Does God not know this? Why is God not doing something about this? See? That sounds familiar. One thing I really appreciate about Asaph is that he is, as I said, clearly a spiritually minded man, and he loves God, but he also lets us see the reality of this struggle in his life. So, circle the wagons. If anything I have said has sort of like pinged with you, take heart. Many times our tendency to be offended is because in our heart we do love God. In our heart we do love our country. In our heart, we want righteousness to prevail, and those are good things. But the problem is, is if we address those things 
and we do it with a bad spirit, we're helping nobody. And Asaph struggled with the same thing. I can tell you this, 2016, 2015, 2016, I struggled with the same thing. I was so fed up and mad with the whole thing, I was ready to kick them all out. There wasn't nobody worth having politically, right? Yeah, let's, let's just go back, let's just address one of the big ones. And I'm right there with you. I don't know anybody today either, I don't know. I ain't mad about it anymore. Be honest with you, I pay, I pay enough attention to when it comes time, I need to know how to do my, my responsibility as a citizen of this country. But I don't give it any more attention than I have to. And I've got so much more joy. <laughs> so much more peace. So, mu so much less stress. The only thing I've got to figure out now is how to quit drinking coffee. That's going to get my blood pressure. I'm going to be like a baby. <sighs> okay, maybe it ain't quite that good yet. So uh, he, he admits this struggle, and, and by his own admission, his struggle is envy. That's what he says in verse number 3. I was envious at the foolish. And, and it's evident that that envy brought on bitterness and anger. And all of those things are byproducts of pride. When the writer of Hebrews says this, he says, Lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. For Asaph, that besetting sin was envy. Now maybe... We could even call that pride of life. We see that connection in the scriptures. But I have to ask the question, what is it for me? What is it for me? What's my besetting sin? Now, a lot of times, we want to be honest about it. And so when we talk about our besetting sin, we name the thing we're doing. The thing we're doing is actually the fruit of the sin. The besetting sin is much deeper. It is something that is in us. Sin is a very personalized thing in the New Testament. Paul almost describes it as if it's an entity, a, a, a person kind of. And it is in us, and that besetting sin is what we have to resist and lay aside. So for Asaph, it was envy. I have to ask, what is it for me? You have to ask, what is it for you? What keeps tripping us up? I've been thinking on this uh, the last few days, and I, I keep thinking about those seven deadly sins. Remember, we did a whole series on those some time ago. They were decided on, that list was decided on through a process. It started with the Desert Fathers in the 3rd century and came all the way down through about 590 A.D. It got put into these seven that become sort of part of the understanding in churchology. You remember what they are? Who can recite all seven of them right now? Brother Corey's going to give you five dollars. I had to sit and think about it. I, could, I kept coming up with a different list. I'd get six and couldn't remember the seventh, and it would be a different one every time. Lust, let's see if I can do it. Lust, greed, pride, envy, wrath, sloth. See, there I, I get stuck every time. What is it? Gluttony. Ah, see, it's a different one every time I forget. Those seven deadly sins as they came to be called. Originally there was an eighth on the list. Matter of fact, go far enough back, there was like nine but the eighth one was considered to be dejection or a form of depression, but it eventually got dropped off. I think of the classification of sin in the Scriptures, 1 John 2, 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And if you just think about it a little bit, those seven things 
fit under those three categories pretty well. And, and we, that's what we have to look at. And, and perhaps for us, it's not the pride of life. Maybe for you, it's the lust of the flesh. Maybe for somebody else in here, it's the lust of the eyes. You know, greed. I got to have it. I got to buy. I got to get more. I got to look good, right? All of us have some besetting sin that we need to deal with. And Hebrews goes on to say in chapter 12, verse 3 and 4, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And so we too must continue striving like Asaph, striving against the sin in our life. It's not a measure of our spirituality that we can say how little we struggle with sin. That's a falsehood. That's, that's somebody putting on airs. The measure of true spirituality is us realizing more and more how much we struggle with sin. That's the mark of growth. And that'll serve as our breakaway point for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's broadcast. We pray that you have a blessed remainder of your day, and we look forward to seeing you back tomorrow. Thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.